0: I was standing in church worshiping this morning and, well, this is good news, right? Already. (laughs) Um, I thought about, my son came and sat by me, Josiah, and he's my only begotten son, the child of my old age. And I thought about um, the many, many times I stood in church and worshiped feeling desperate over him. And um, my husband died, was diagnosed with ALS when Joe was 11. And so I was boy mom on my own for a long time and never raised a boy, didn't have any brothers, Um, and dealing with a kid locked in grief. And I stood in church week after week just hoping against hope that Jesus would be enough because I am telling you the truth, I was not enough. And as he sat and worshipped with me today, I'm just overwhelmed with the goodness of Jesus. I'm overwhelmed with it. I'm so impressed with him, you guys. Because I alone know how unimpressive my parenting was. And Joe knows too. (laughs) He knows too. And so as I was standing there, I just started to see some faces in my mind of overwhelmed parents this morning hoping against hope, wondering, watching, maybe waiting for the car to turn down the driveway. And I would just love to pray with you. And I, this may be out of the box a little bit for some of you this morning, but if that's you this morning, would you be willing to stand and let us pray with you? Um, if you're just an overwhelmed parent, any kind, single, not, whatever, I just wanna pray. And if you're around them, can we just be, yeah, see, when other people stand, it's like, okay, it's true. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really true. Would you, around them, would you just reach your hands out to them? The, the, the Great Commission is go in all the world and take the gospel, and you will lay hands on the sick, and you will see them healed. And we have in our midst this morning some people who are heart sick. And so we want to ask first for healing for the heart sick. And then we want to ask that Jesus would do a miracle. And so God, we come to you this morning and you see your loved ones here. How crazy you are about every person here and every child represented. Every grandchild. You see hopelessness, you see worry, you see stress. You see the ways that we get in and we try to meddle and fix things. You see how desperate we are to be a a better parent than maybe you, it seems like you are, God. And I just pray this morning for freedom for every single mom and dad here who feels overwhelmed, who feels under equipped, who feels unqualified, who feels desperate. And I ask, God, that you would come and bring peace bring peace, bring your uh, rest bring resources father we ask also that you would send your holy spirit to our children that it would go out we we realize that you are everywhere if we go up to heaven you are there if we make our beds in hell you are there if we sail to the farthest parts of the sea you are there and so we know that you are already in our children's universe we ask that they would simply be aware of it Make them aware of your overwhelming, unending, unrelenting love today. Let them feel your goodness running after them. In the name of Jesus, we love you. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, brave parents, for standing. I know it's just awful to stand in church. It's just awful. I am an introvert. I told the last service that... And, you know, when pastors do that cheeky little thing, turn to your neighbor and say, da-da-da. I turn to my neighbor and I say, I'm not saying that. I'm not. I'm <laughs> I just don't want to. I don't want to say what they tell me to say. Um, we're in Romans still. Romans is hard. My husband asked me last night, how's the message? And I said, Romans is hard. <laughs> it's really hard. Sometimes I, qu- I question Paul and his run-on sentences. Come on, man, make it easier for us all to understand it. Um, last week... Pastor Brad gave what I will tell you, for me, uh, without a doubt, the best message I have ever heard on sin, the best message I've ever heard. And I mean, the downside is it was on sin, but it was a great, great message on sin (laughs) because sometimes we're going to have to talk about it. It's a part of living life called to people who are called to shalom, and this is what I loved as he talked about how shalom is this life that God has designed for us. In fact, I looked up the quote because it's so good. He said, shalom means perfection, wholeness. Everything is as it should be: beauty, glory, honor, love, reconciliation, no wars, no famine, no disease, no death, no tears, no suffering, no loss, no mourning. No funerals, no locks on doors, no police officers, no jails, no soldiers, no need. Shalom. This beautiful picture of God creating for us a life that we can't create for ourselves. It's a a nothing missing, nothing broken kind of life. And so the question, honestly, if we're going to be honest and not just, you know, deal in some of our churchy sayings, is really? Like, Can we, in in the midst of a world where it feels like most things are missing and everything is broken, can we live as people internally who have a nothing missing, nothing broken sort of spirit? Can we create inside of our own selves a universe where we exist in the shalom that Jesus promised? Prince of peace, prince of shalom. Can we live there? Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. And so the trouble part, the outside part, there's not a lot we can do about that. What we do is say, how do I cultivate inside of myself a world where I cannot be shaken and broken? Um, In John 8, Jesus says, whoever the sun sets free will be free indeed. That word indeed is very cool. It means emphatically, free emphatically, wildly free. Can you, I mean, just do a little self-check in your own head today. How free do I feel? Do I feel wildly free to live into shalom, to live into joy, to live into peace, to live into giving, to live into all these things? It's not I almost just said, turn and tell your neighbor what your score was, just to be funny, but that's okay. Um, it's, no, Jesus didn't say, who the Son says free will be feral. It's different being feral than being free. Jesus has called us to true freedom. And, and the, the rules that we like to kind of talk about, and if we could right off the top at the message today, if we could divorce ourselves from this idea And we say it a lot of times, sin is bad because it breaks God's heart. It's like we we have this idea that sin breaks God's heart because it breaks his rules. And then he kind of sits in heaven going, oh, shoot, she broke another rule. That goes on her chart. Too bad. Nope. Sin doesn't break God's heart because we've broken a rule. It breaks God's heart because he knows that sin breaks us. And that with it, we break others. God is all about the human condition. He's all about coming into broken worlds and helping them flourish. He's not about going, how how are you doing it, measuring up? Nope, that was a bad thought. That goes, you're, you're not doing well. You're sinful. The sin is the dastardly enemy of our freedom, It gets in the way, our bitterness, our pride, our need to control everything, our manipulation, our lust for power, our greed, these kinds of things get in the way, and they start to control everything else we see and do, and they start to become the way we see God. And Paul, in Romans 6, it's a brilliant chapter, but a lot of people kind of look at Romans as like this doctrinal book. Like it is. It's Paul's magnum opus. It's this beautiful letter, but it's a letter. It's not a textbook. It's a letter to people that he loves, to people that he wants to see grow, to people that he wants to see flourish. There's a lot of doctrine he doesn't even touch on. He doesn't cover. But he repeats these themes because he wants to keep us coming back to this idea, especially in Romans 6, that you can be free. That you do not have to be a slave to the things that you were a slave to before the cross. And so he comes back to this, and it's like, If Romans is a forest, the trees in the forest are salvation. Salvation by grace through faith. But the smell of the pine and the breeze and the sound of the wind and the leaves of the trees is freedom. It is all about freedom. So Paul refers to, and so I I have a question about freedom. How do we get it? (laughs) <laughs> How does it work? Because I know a, a lot of people that, that read the scripture, okay, the sun sets free is free indeed, but they don't feel free. I often don't feel free. I want to show you a picture, and you're probably familiar with it. That's the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. It was painted by Michelangelo under duress in the early 16th century. and um, uh, it's, I, I went there, And I loved it. And I stood there in stunned silence, also in silence because they're super bossy in there. And they don't want you to talk or take pictures. And, in fact, Casey was there with me. And it was like everyone was yelling at us because we're talkers. If you know us, we're talkers. You're especially going to talk about the Sistine Chapel. Come on. Anyway, Michelangelo painted this. It's beautiful, angry representation of a God I don't think I've ever met. This God I haven't ever met, the one that's mad at everybody. Um, But it's beautiful. And I want to ask the question, was that, was Michelangelo gifted or was he skilled? Was that a gift or a skill? Is it a talent or a discipline? I think it's probably both. And the reason I think it's both is because I've watched American Idol, just like you. And you've seen the people that really have worked hard at their craft, and they're, and they're confident, and they want to be the next American Idol, but they just don't have the gift. It's not there. And we've all known people who are gifted at things, and they haven't worked to cultivate it. They'd be a great writer if they'd just finished that book. So it's a gift and a skill, and so is freedom. Freedom is a gift, and freedom is a skill. It's both. In Romans 6, Paul refers to sin as slavery 15 times in 23 verses. He keeps trying to help them understand why would you ever want to be a slave to anything? And... Paul is writing to a culture that knows slavery. They understand. We're not a culture that necessarily understands it. Unless you've been maybe really deeply in debt. But even then, it's just not like being a slave in the first century. And so Paul writes to this culture and he keeps telling them, look at slavery. That's what it's like when you don't walk free from sin. And that's not what he wants for you. That's not what God has ever planned for you. Um, not being a slave, I think, seems like a birthright thing, so it's all gift, but actually, it's, it's a sneaky thing. Soul slavery is a little sneaky. Here's Romans 6, 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Romans 6, 8 through 10. Now, if we died with Christ... We believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives... He lives to God. So this sounds like really good news, right? It's like that sin is dead. Jesus took care of it on the cross. It's all gift. You got the gift of freedom from sin, you live in it. You got the gift of freedom from death, you get to live in it. This is really good news, except wait, hold on a minute, there's more. Therefore, do not let sin reign. In your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been bought, brought from debt. You guys, I'm getting older. I have a birthday in a couple of weeks. I can't see anything. The older I get. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law. You are under grace. So first he says, you've been set free from sin. It's done. It's gone. It's buried. And then he says, don't let sin reign Don't let it take over. Don't let it be the boss of you. And this is a clear contradiction, yeah? Except it's not if you look at what Jesus didn't do on the cross. Because the cross, Jesus conquered sin and death in the grave. Jesus unleashed the most powerful force in the universe, grace, to all mankind. What Jesus didn't conquer on the cross is my Free will. Didn't do it. Didn't even come for that. He didn't come to rescue me from my own will. My will is intact and it is strong and it does not like to be bossed. In fact, I was thinking yesterday, I've never known our society to be so bossy man I just like Christian Twitter they're just always yelling at me telling me what to do and who to hate and how to vote and what to do and I just from all the sides from every side of the spectrum everyone's trying to tell everybody else what to do and maybe we should look at our own will and say have I become a slave to something maybe I've become a slave to bossing people around and I should stop it said the girl with the mic in her hand yelling at a room full of people um (laughs) So the one, the one place where a gift and skill intersect, the one thing they have in common is a decision. Both receiving a gift and building a skill require us to decide to do it. My friend got a new computer, a powerful, expensive one for her mom, who was in a retirement center and was lonely and wanted to keep up with the kids and the grandkids and see pictures. and. Play games and all the things. And she just felt like this was the answer to all her problems. And she called her mom and said, Mom, how's that computer working out? And her mom was like, "Uh, the computer's broken. It doesn't do what you said it would do. But I love the box. I keep my papers in there. (laughs) It's It's just not. She's got the gift. She owns it. It will do a million things for her. But only if she, what, figures out how to use it. You own grace you own it you own freedom but it won't work until we move until we decide we have to decide to walk in it to say Jesus I want to open up this thing and see what it will do let's take this gift out on the open road and figure out how it works this is cool Dallas Willard defines discipleship As the orienting of the six elements of our humanity around the love of God. The six elements of our humanity are body, soul, relationships, thoughts, feelings, and decisions. Decisions are a big deal. How many of you had the thought this week, I should work out? Raise your hand. I am making you raise your hand. How many of you worked out this week? You see, there's a different number. That's just a different number. You see, we have the same thoughts, exact same thoughts, but the decision is what creates a different outcome. Decisions are big. You know how many decisions you make every day? 35,000 decisions every day. It's a lot of them. Some of them are big, some of them are small, but they're all there. I um, decided to paint my house a couple of years ago and Uh, it was expensive to do the outside. You know, you have to hire actual people to do it, like people who know what they're doing. And so I wanted to make the right choice, and the choice weighed heavy on me. And so I bought a bunch of different samples of like five or six different colors, and I put them up in swatches on a wall that, that the street couldn't see. And like one was dark and moody and stormy. And one was bright and happy and beautiful. And one was light and airy. And one was sophisticated and smart. And I could not decide because they were so different, but so wonderful. And so finally, I brought my son out, the punk in the front row. And I said, what do you think of these? Which one should I pick? And he looked at them, and he looked at me, and he said, you know these are all gray, don't you? (laughs) This is a little punk. He only looks like Jesus, is the thing. <laughs> so it wasn't a big decision, but it felt really big. It weighed on me, and sometimes you don't know how big or little the decision is until after you've done it. There, I think I've told you this story before, but there was a time when I just went into a, a fast food store, and the girl behind the counter, I know a fast food store. <laughs> No judgment from the front two rows, okay? A fast food establishment. (laughs) And um, the gal behind the counter just looked like she was having kind of a hard day, but she was so lovely and she was surrounded by really, really young people and she wasn't as young. and, And when I got up to the counter, I just said, you know what? You are beautiful. And I felt stupid, stupid doing it. And she said, oh, thanks, not much response. And I go down the counter because my food is going to come up over there, and I look back, and she's wiping tears away. It's just you don't know how much of the decisions, just decisions, decisions to, to, to let the love of God uh, move you, to let the love of God make you free, to do things you haven't done before. It's a really big deal. You make so many decisions every day. If we can accumulate as many as possible that might create some sort of ripple into eternity, wouldn't that be cool to view on the other side of this thing? Death and life <clears throat> is often in the power of our decisions. Deuteronomy 31 says, I've set before you, death and life, blessing and cursing, therefore what? Think life? Nope. Feel life? Nope. Choose life. Choose life. And what the enemy of our soul will always try to tell us is you can't. It's too much for you. You are helpless against the onslaught of sin and sorrow and grief and brokenness and fighting and bickering and whatever in your society, in your family, in your home, at your work. You're helpless against it. There's nothing you can do to decide to live free and inside shalom in a world that's this broken. In 1969, a doctor named Martin Seligman did a study And he wanted to find out what motivated people and what caused depression. And and he took three groups of dogs. Uh, One group of dogs he put in a harness. That's all, put them in a harness and then let them go. Uh, The other two groups were were harnessed together. And they were given a mild shock. And the first group of dogs had the power to hit a lever to end the shock. And the third group of dogs had no such power. They were just dependent on the, the other dog to do it. And so then he separates all the dogs out and puts them in a shuttle box, kind of a low-sided box that they can easily get out of. And they all get the same electrical shock. Group one jumps out. Group two jumps out. Group three just lays down and whimpers. They just have no idea that they have any control over the pain inside their world. They're just as free as the other two sets, but they have learned helplessness They've learned that they have no control, that they can't make the decision, that there's always something too big for them. And so the researchers wondered, did we break the dogs? How do we fix them? And so they tried everything. They tried treats. They tried bribes. They tried uh, being stern with them. They tried a lot of things. But what eventually worked was when the researchers got in the box with the dog and physically moved their legs out of the box. And two times, and then they were fixed. They could jump out of the box on their own. They relearned how to use their own will to get outside of the sting of the shock. And I think it's such clear—it's such a clear example of how we end up living when we get buried under the weight of sin, and sorrow, and heartache. There's no way out. Paul, I think essentially says here you've learned helplessness sin isn't your master but you are living like it's your master you're a voluntary slave so what moves us out of the box and towards shalom toward freedom I think a lot of different things one that's interesting that I'm not even talking about today is confession The Bible talks about how confessing your sins can set you free from them. And that is the last thing we want to do. But that's just a freebie. I'm throwing in, not even in my notes. Um, Three things. Vision, courage, and grace. I think vision... Courage and grace are a trifecta that can help us move into places of freedom inside the love of God that we have never experienced before. Because I'm going to tell you, vision is, is one of my favorite things and one of my favorite words. Because obey the rules is a pretty terrible life mission statement, unless you're firstborn. Obey the rules is not very inspiring. And, and it's a lot of what the church ends up teaching. We end up teaching this gospel of behavior modification. Stay inside the lines. Don't do anything bad. This is going to be really scary for you if you get outside the lines. Here's what you have to fix in order to get to grace. No, grace was meant for your full self, your full truest self. It goes out through the universe and pulls us in. It's not the gospel of behavior modification. It's the gospel of freedom from sin and death. Freedom to the love of God. And so vision is such a big deal. Jesus didn't come to show us how to follow the rules better. He came to show us how to live an abundant life. The rules exist to help move us toward this life. To help us recognize this life. I'd love it if you could just kind of imagine a boat. And imagine that a man owns this boat And it's tied up to the shore. In fact, there are lots of boats tied up to the shore. And people who own those boats gather there every week. And they listen to other people talk about how to sail and what the sea will be like and what's out there. You won't believe the size of the fish. There's treasure around that one cove. If you sail out four miles that way, you'll run into the most incredible sea life you've ever experienced. And they just keep hearing and hearing about it. Keep hearing about the sea and the beauty of it. They keep hearing about what it's like to sail and feel the wind in your hair and the water on your face. They keep hearing, it, but they, they also hear, but you have to be really, really careful out there. You just, you have to be careful. It's very dangerous. Don't make mistakes. Just be very, very careful, and they hear so much, be careful, be careful, be careful, don't make mistakes, do it right, that they never actually untie their boat and sail out into the sea and find what's waiting out there. I had this picture of every time we sit in a church service, it's like you get a little map to some aspect of the love of God that maybe you've never experienced before. And the map is different for, if there's 500 people, the map is different for every person because that's a holy, how the Holy Spirit works. And we could just accumulate this boat full of maps and never actually use them to go anywhere. What kind, of, what kind of life is that? We were built for adventure and understanding and experiencing the love of God. And I think when we don't have the vision for that adventure, for that life, it's easier just to sin and live that, call that adventure. It's easier to build your own counterfeit weird life on the shore. I'm just going to do my best here and I'm going to stay safe and I'm not going to break the rules unless it's to make myself feel better for a minute and, and relieve the boredom of trying to survive life on land. When you were built for life on the sea, you were built for it. In order to set off into the wild, into the sea of God's love, it'll take courage. It takes courage to move away from the sin that makes life comfortable on the shore and into the freedom that Jesus bought for you to feel the wind at your back. It takes courage to maybe upset the community that likes staying tied up too, it takes courage to say I'm willing to leave habits behind that aren't serving me well anymore and aren't serving my relationship with Jesus. It takes courage to know that in this world you will have trouble, but the grace of God will meet you there. Because grace is powerful. It's scandalous and it's powerful. It is always in first position. The grace of Jesus that met Peter as his feet started to fall beneath the waterline. That grace. I always feel so sad that we make fun of Peter because he sunk. I mean, there's like 11 losers in the boat. Peter's out there doing the thing. And we always make Jesus sound real crabby at him for, for sinking. I don't think Jesus sounded like that. I think Jesus was like, get a load of that guy. Just get a load of that guy. It's that kind of grace. It's grace that Jesus extended to the thief on the cross right next to his. Before the guy had paid one dime of tithe. Before the guy had sat through one church service. With his full resume of sins that would make us all horrified. I wouldn't want to sit next to him in church. Before he had done anything, any fixing of his behavior, Jesus welcomes him into the and says the sea of God's love is open to even you. It's the grace that he extends and welcomes the woman caught in the act of sin. Caught in the act, red-handed. And he says, go and sin no more. You're not helpless. Here's the thing, Jesus is not the electric shock. Jesus is the one who gets into the box and moves our hands and feet and helps us relearn freedom. That's Jesus. That's the love of God. We are not asking you to sail. I'm not asking you to sail into the sea of sinlessness. Now. I'm saying, sail into the sea of God's love and see what's waiting there. See what's waiting. If we start to actually unpack this thing and look at what this faith will do, what will it do to our neighbors who are broken and hurting, to our kids who don't feel loved enough by their world? To, uh, what will it do? Wild generosity. What would just that do in the neighborhood? we're called. What would it do if we laid down our opinions and picked up our wallets and said, I want to help. I want to help tell other people that the love of Jesus is worth sailing toward. There's a boat for you. Dallas Willard also said, your eternal destiny is not cosmic retirement. It is to be part of a tremendously creative project under unimaginably splendid leadership on an inconceivably vast scale with ever-increasing cycles of fruitfulness and enjoyment. That is the prophetic vision of which eye has not seen and ear has not heard. Oh, Jesus, make us ready. Make us willing to sail out and see what is waiting for us. If we stop fearing the enemy our own mistakes, if we start owning the fact that sin is holding us back, and if we're willing to say yes to whatever is out there in the place we can't see, would you stand with me? If you are comfortable, I'd love for you to hold out your hands in front of you to receive the benediction. I'm going to try to get through it. May you be men and women who joyfully receive the gift and skill of freedom. And may that freedom move your boat out into the open waters of God's love. May the wind be at your back and the sun in your face as you sail, sail, sail. Amen.